This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottom and cans turn blue when your beer is cold and that way you know it's time to chill hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. The two for one podcast is terrific with Mike and Austin Gale, and also his work outstanding at PFF.com. And you can look now at insane levels of college football coverage at Pro Football Focus. What's up, Mike? Matt, how are you doing? Thanks for having me back, man. Is that the best way to describe it, what you guys are doing now with uh, college football? is just It's like no reasonable person or people or organization should ever give us this much detail about college football? Basically, we're diving deeper. That's just the goal, I think, on NFL as well, is just we're going to hit every single angle as deep as possible. And some, there's, there are people out there, we believe, that are that into, as into it as we are, and we'll flock to our website then. Hey, let me ask you before we get into Justin Jefferson and Tank for Trevor and a few other things about uh, Rashad Bateman and his situation. Um, what do you think? I mean, it's kind of a weird spot that college football is in. I think if he wants to play that the uh, NCAA should let him play because he didn't know that there was going to be a Big Ten season when he opted out. But also from his perspective, does it help him to play when he was probably already going to be a first round pick? I think it always helps you to play. If you play, stay healthy, having one more in you know, a recent year of tape is going to help you. Uh, even if maybe you're not quite as productive, I don't think there's a lot he could do on tape that would really put his draft stock back because you get better. You know, you get better as you get older, 
like theoretically, you're not getting worse. So I do think that that would help them, especially in a deep wide receiver class where there's going to be, you know, six or seven guys in a similar range. And if they had just seen them and they just played really well, well, you might be SOL and you might be dropping in the second round. So I do think that it could help his draft stock. I don't think, in my opinion, he really needs to. Like, he's still going to be a fairly high draft pick, but I, I don't think he's locked into the first round right now if he does skip 2020. And it would be a long time without playing football for anybody who doesn't play. It would almost be like tearing your ACL or something in your senior year, and then they don't get to see you play for a really long time. So from that perspective, it makes sense. And then also from the Gophers' perspective, they could really use him because I, I think he was really their offensive driver last year. Yeah, and I don't care where you're training this fall. You're probably not training against you know everyone's playing football. That's good at football. That's good at cornerback. So what can you be working on in terms of beating guys? Like all you can do is basically lift weights, run routes on your own. You're not getting that real reps in practice, in games against real competition, figuring out uh, you know the nuances of the position that you just can't do uh, you know on a whiteboard or I guess on a practice field alone by yourself. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, let me just, since we're on the go for subject, Antoine Winfield Jr., good, eh? <laughs> just oh, good so at football. Good. I, I think that already we have a lot of Minnesota Vikings fans who are looking at this and going, come on, we watched every game. He was right in your backyard. Even the Vikings played a couple of years at the stadium where he dominated. He might have been, of all the players that were easy to predict that he would step in and be good right away, he was one of them at the draft where I think everyone saw this coming. Yeah, I think everyone knew how good he was. I do wonder, medical rechecks, what, you know, if there were a good team, number of teams that were just like, no, I don't want to touch multiple ACL injuries because, you know, one more and the guy might never play a snap for us. So I do think that played a big role in where he did end up falling. But, yes, I think a lot of people are not surprised by how he's looked so far. Uh, let's talk about two things that are vital to what I'm going to obnoxiously be calling for a long time, the 2021 tunnel for the Vikings, because we go down into the tunnel and that's the only thing we can talk about is just 2021 and not 2020 because things are going super bad. Um, Tank, yeah, did you have a, did you have a reaction to the 2021 tunnel? Yeah, that makes sense. It's yeah. how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, like, you are always this way with everything, yes. looking forward to, to the next year and so forth. And I also think that fans would love to dig down and then come back up in 2021 instead of watching the rest of this year. But let's talk about Tank for Trevor. I mean, I see it now. Every Vikings tweets from their official account, if you open it up, there's about 50 photoshops of Trevor Lawrence as a Minnesota Viking. So I want you to first – just tell me about Trevor Lawrence. I think he looks good at football from the times I've seen him, but is he what I think Vikings fans have in their minds that he is? Yes, I 100% would say yes. I mean, he's the best prospect. To me, he's probably the best prospect since some guys I've never seen before. He's the best prospect I've seen at the quarterback position uh, in my years of doing this. I think he's better than Andrew Luck. I think he has a bigger arm than Andrew Luck. Uh, I just think the things he does are very translatable to the NFL uh, in terms of throwing with timing, being able to get through multiple reads, being able to scan the whole field, uh, and being able to read blitzes, you know, recognize blitzes, and get the ball out of his hands. Uh, and then he just has an absolute cannon, probably you know, underratedly can run pretty fast. Like, you can actually add on to your uh, rushing offense. You saw that against Ohio State last year where he was running away from Ohio State linebackers. He's probably going to run in like the 4-6 range. So there's a lot you can do with them. 
And when you get a guy like that in the NFL, that is a decade of prosperity. If you can hold on to that guy, like he is that level of good. So there's a lot of reasons to tank for Trevor. Uh, you got some competition though. If you're going to be taking for Trevor this year, it seems. Yeah. And I'll get to that. Uh, I liked in that Ohio state game that they were whooping his ass and then he bounced back and, and found a way to win it because he was down at one point And he said that he heard the Ohio state players saying, we knocked him out. We knocked him out. And that was where he kind of jumped back up and wanted to shove it down their throats. And to me, the quarterback position and character are just so tied in. It's probably every prospect, but maybe you get a closer look at it when it's a, a quarterback because he talks a lot, does interviews and you know all those sorts of things, and you can really hone in on it. It's hard to tell if a left guard really wants it. But with a quarterback, something like that, I know it's anecdotal. I know it's smart, uh, small. We can talk ourselves into things. But to me, that competitive level that he has of wanting to maximize his skills, wanting to be great, that says to me superstar. I mean, it doesn't – so I guess to me just having that doesn't mean superstar. If you didn't have right. that, it would be the red flag is right. more the thing. I think guys like, you know, Mitch Trubisky does not have that, does not have that killer instinct of if that happened, he wouldn't be up jaw and wouldn't be giving him that extra fuel. That's just not who he is. So there are a lot of guys who have that. But, I mean, when you have the other tools that he has, the other, you know, full skill set, and then you have that, you feel really comfortable with a guy, a prospect so, like that. I shouldn't necessarily be saying yield for fields, that it's entirely tank for Trevor, or what's the gap between those two as we speak right now? I think the gap to me is pretty big in terms of certainty. That's not saying in four years from now that a guy like that, Justin Fields, will be much worse. The gap will still be there, and that in four years from now, Justin Fields could be the better quarterback. That's very possible, but I just think with the way they perform in the football field right now, you see Trevor Lawrence doing things that he's going to do next year in the NFL. You don't see as much of that from Fields. He played behind a ridiculously good offensive line. He sat in the pocket all day long and got, you know, had guys running wild down the football field wide open with a ridiculously good wide receiving core. And so it was not nearly as translatable when he puts up these you know, big numbers, big accuracy numbers, big touchdown numbers, not nearly as translatable. But the skills are there. Like he doesn't have as big an arm as Trevor Lawrence, but he has an NFL arm. He can run definitely better than Trevor Lawrence. He is an add-on to your run game. The big dude uh, and can be your short line, short yardage goal line type of back and can do a lot of things in that nature. So, yeah, Fields has a pretty darn good skill set in his own right. But I think he – you need a season of him. You need another season. We've seen Lawrence for two. You need another season of Fields to feel good about the, the, the high level he showed last season. How are you dealing with the big statistics that come out of Ohio State quarterbacks? I mean, I think if I was put in there, I could throw for a couple hundred yards a game. I mean, it just seems like people are wide open all the time. And with Dwayne Haskins, this was a big debate when he was coming out in the draft. He has these insane statistics. He has Baker Mayfield-like numbers. But how do you know? And then so far in the NFL, it's been a lot of up and down with Dwayne Haskins. And I, and I wonder if that sort of is problematic for you when a lot of quarterbacks can put up the same type of production. It's it's something you have to take into account. And the good thing is with Fields and Haskins, we've seen them play in the same offense, and we have our grading system, which actually you know judges the throws that they've had, and we can see where Fields or where Haskins' production came. Who you know led the NCAA in screen yardage, led the NCAA in yards on crossing routes, things that 
are not difficult for a quarterback to do. And he did not grade out nearly as well as Fields did, whereas Fields uh, gained a ton of his yards, was one of the most accurate quarterbacks on vertical throws. He was a lot better at throwing down the football field than Dwayne Haskins was. So there were definite red flags if you dug deeper than just, you know, whatever, 40 plus touchdown, 4,800 yards for Haskins. A lot of that was phony production, whereas I think Fields has done it a lot more on his arm. But you're never going to be able to separate what a quarterback can do with, uh, you know, what the receiving talent and the offensive line that he has blocking for him because a lot of guys will look good if they can always have their first read open and always have three to four seconds to throw. That's just a pretty common uh, sort of denominator amongst guys who play football at that level. So I do – it is worrisome, but I think you have to you have to dig deeper into the throw-by-throw throw, uh, and actually try to evaluate that than just using their raw stats. I want to remind you to go to sodastick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen this stuff yet, you've got to check it out. One of my favorite designs is of the Metrodome. I have a t-shirt of this one myself, and it's perfect for those of you who grew up going to the Metrodome. All of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. And we're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's SOTASTIC, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K dot com. Original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesesteak Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are also still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food will be on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of more than $15 when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off, zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Now, I totally agree with you on the Vikings not being quite in the conversation as the Jets. The Denver Broncos are about to start a UDFA, Brett Rippon. Is he related to uh, Mark Rippon? Is that his, his kid? Do you know? Oh, I should know that. I do not know that. Man, those Washington offenses with Mark Rippon, very uh, innovative with Joe Gibbs. Anyway, that's how old I am, and I'm sorry for that. So, um, But Brett Rippon's going to start for them. Sam Darnold looks like a disaster. The Jets are the worst coach football team, not named the Detroit Lions. Uh, I mean, just and, – and okay, debatable now, maybe yeah. worse – and you, Jacksonville is like a gif where someone's looking around the corner, like, don't forget about us. Yeah. I know. Remember, Carolina once won in week one, and then I think against the Vikings, and then lost all the rest of the games the whole year with Chris Winkie. It does happen. So uh, I think that these are teams that are decidedly worse than the Minnesota Vikings, which could put them for a lot of other positions that you and I on future podcasts will break down. But could they say not play for Trey? How are you going to evaluate Trey Lance this year? That's a tough one, and he plays this weekend in an absurd turn of events to where North Dakota State scheduled one game all year after they canceled their whatever season. They play Central Arkansas. And so, honestly, I don't. what he does this weekend is really not going to sway me too much. 
because we did have a full season of him as a redshirt freshman, and he's going to come out because he's going to be a top 10 pick because he's in the similar vein to the guys we just talked about in that. He has a monster arm. He probably is going to run the four fives. He's 225 pounds. He didn't throw a single pick all last season, which is going to get repeated a thousand times between now (laughs) and the draft. Unless he throws four against Central Arkansas. Exactly, yeah. Then that's all you're going to hear also. But I, I do think that there's a lot to like. And it's just one of those situations where it's a tools versus, you know, competition versus actual performance because the performance is fine. He wasn't lighting it up by any means. They weren't asking him to light it up. They, he passed the ball and he dropped back fast 18 times a game. They were a run-heavy offense. He was, uh, you know, he ran for over 1,000 yards in that offense. He was a runner first. And so it's a weird sort of dichotomy, and you're not playing good competition. You're never going to see him against good competition. They were supposed to play Oregon this year. That game got canceled. So you're never going to see it, but – didn't see a lot of Carson Wentz gets good competition. Now, that's not a good, maybe at this point in his career, a uh, good comparison that you might be favorable for him. But I, I do think that there is something to be said for he has all the tools to succeed. And when you have a big arm like that, and when you have proven, you know, and that you can run and be a value add in the run game, it just makes your life a lot easier. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be, you know, like, like Drew Brees does right now and be not miss a single read all game long to win. So, I, I do think that he will end up going top 10 and it's just going to be one of those evaluations where it depends on the guy and depends on the situation, depends on how creatively they're going to use them uh, because it's all there, but it's going to be such a big leap that he has to put in the work and has to get himself there. So that one's that one, like I said, I don't think it matters what he does this Sunday or Saturday. And I'm not convinced the Vikings would go quarterback unless it's number one overall, and then you just absolutely cannot pass up on Trevor Lawrence. We've seen other teams, including the Detroit Lions, feel like, well, we're set with Matt Stafford, or even Washington, not drafting Tua. Uh, Maybe it's a different situation with Lawrence, but if you don't draft number one, then they might be one of those teams to trade back to somebody who's desperate for a quarterback. But, of course, that's happening in May. So let's talk about what happened last Sunday with Justin Jefferson. Now, you and I talked a number of times about Jefferson, and here's the most interesting development for him for Sunday, which I think says a little bit about him as a player. The fact that he lined up outside most of the time after the first two weeks he was a slot receiver and barely saw the ball, and then all of a sudden he lines up outside, he gets the start at the X receiver, and lights it up 175 yards, played at a different speed than the Tennessee Titans. Impressive, Mike. Yeah, it makes you wonder what the hell was going on the last three weeks or you know, all of preseason to where – he never even got that opportunity. Like he was kind of pigeonholed in the slot there, pigeonholed mm-hmm. as their number three wide receiver. When I think everyone with two eyes could see Ola BC Johnson is not a good number two wide receiver. He is still a limited number two, uh, at least give this guy a little opportunity to go for it. And they did. And he runs with it. So uh, I was very impressed. The, you saw a lot of the same things you saw at LSU in terms of his ability after the catch on that long, deep over route his ability at the catch point on the go ball where it was a little underthrown, you know, skies over the DB and secures it. Now it's one game. I think the consistency on the outside is, was the question mark of can he consistently beat guys one-on-one and, you know, two, two of his big plays were, like I said, that, that the over route was not really beating a guy one-on-one. Mm-hmm. It was kind of right. just the DB falling asleep. And then the, the go ball was the DBs right there, but he makes the play. So can he consistently do that? That remains to be seen, but, it's about as encouraging a start as you can get 
playing outside receiver there. Yeah, the big plays, unless you're Julio Jones, you don't just write them in. Like, oh, okay, he's going to be good for three 50-yard catches this week or something, or 30-plus. But where I was impressed is he ran a 10-yard out and beat his guy for a first down. He ran a hitch and then ran after the catch for another 15, 20 yards. His ability with the ball in his hands, I think it stood right out at LSU, but you just don't know in the NFL, like, is that – going to translate? Is he going to have that same sort of burst when we see him on this field? And to look like you're moving at a different speed in the NFL, it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, and again, that's why, like, watching that, I'm just thinking to myself, what could he have been doing in practice? Like, if he's looking anything like that, he should have at least gotten the opportunity. Maybe he just wasn't familiar with the playbook, wasn't going to be able to run the plays. That could be the, that's probably the only thing I could think of to not, you know, give him that chance. And it's maybe too simplistic to say, why don't you just run a reverse with him or a bubble screen or just like let him touch the football and run that way with it. But uh, maybe it is in a Kubiak style offense. You got to learn all of the things and make sure everything's all set, maybe. Uh, But I agree with you. The first couple of weeks, you should be giving this man the football. And we still go over this with Delvin Cook of like, how about you like put him in the slot and run a screen with him or something because his line's not very good. But anyway, other conversations. Now the corners from the last draft, um, Cameron Dantzler gets hurt immediately. And, if, I mean, it comes into my mind, like, is the guy going to get hurt a lot because of his size? And Jeff Gladney has had a bit of a rough go of it so far. How long do you give young corners, though? Because life is hard as a young corner in the NFL, as Vikings fans are finding out. That is kind of the age-old question. We've seen teams just get burned. When, when you when – you, put so many resources into, you know, two or three classes. Now they have, you know, Hughes, Dantzler, Hill, Gladney, all guys on rookie contracts. Uh, we saw that with the Eagles, who after their Super Bowl window, they went all in on some youth at corner. None of them turned out to be good. And so I do think that the leash has to be a little tighter. Then you have to see uh, encouraging things. You have to see good performance as a rookie at some point for a stretch uh, to – be willing to say, I'm going to bring that guy back. and He's going to be my guy next year. So if you don't see that from any point from Gladney, from Dantzler, from Hughes, you got to hit it again. Like you got to go back to the well, because it's too important a position to be as bad as they are right now. Yeah. And they are about the worst in the NFL right now and, and getting consistently beaten, even on just like mental stuff, which is where I go. All right, well that fix itself or not, because I've seen this go either way. So what, what does the development curve look like in your mind? Because Previous Vikings corners have not really gotten in games as a rookie. This is new for me covering rookie corners actually getting to play a lot. So what what does that usually look like from corners? Because I even remember I was in Buffalo when Stephon Gilmore came into the league. First three games, he was about the worst corner in the NFL. And then after that, the guy's a superstar. So I, I kind of want to say, like, don't panic just yet. But, wow, has it been rough. I think there's the development curve is, yeah, it could be just bad at the beginning, but you have to see plays, like plays on the football, plays where they, like, it gums quicker uh, if you don't see that. And it goes from that to, you know, like I said, to plays to then that's consistently every time they're making that sort of the right read, the right whatever. Uh, so I think that's a developmental curve for a, for a good cornerback, for a guy who's going to turn good or lead, that sort of thing. Like, like I said, like a Jair Alexander, he wasn't, he wasn't great as a rookie, but he had a game where he had like four pass breakups. He, he had a game where he was in hip pockets and he got the job done. You saw that. And now I think he's developed into one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL. And that's just, 
even Marcus Peters as a rookie was targeted like 120 times, uh, you know, really up and down, gave up almost a thousand yards, but you saw a bunch of plays on the football. I think that's what you want to see is more plays on the football because that's just what you're going to have to do at the cornerback position. No, there's only so few naughty asthmas in the world where you just don't get targeted at all because everyone knows they're so good and, and not going to be open. Guys are going to get tested and you have to prove that not to throw your way by getting your hand on the football picking off passes, that sort of thing. So more plays in the football is what you'd like to see from these corners down the stretch. Okay, I have two more things for you. One, the recent draft history of the Vikings, say post-2015, is rough. And it seems to be getting rougher with Garrett Bradbury is not taking a step forward. And I think we knew and you and I talked about how those arms aren't getting longer. And he's not going to gain 20 pounds and all of a sudden be able to handle Jeffrey Simmons, who, by the way, looked like uh, Warren Sapp on Sunday, I think. Um, So we're seeing the same issues. DeForest Buckner took advantage of him, and then Jeffrey Simmons, who has weight on him, pushed him back into the quarterback. He snaps the ball at the wrong time, which I think was probably on him. I think Kirk Cousins usually knows the snap count. So it's we're seeing some of the same issues with Bradbury. Um, Irv Smith, I think, will be fine. But even if you go back a couple of years, they just haven't had many of those hits that they had from a Stefan Diggs or a Daniil Hunter and so forth. And, and a lot of their process, I think, was influenced by getting Daniil Hunter in the third round because I've heard that come up over and over and over and over again. And the offensive line, it just doesn't seem to be happening no matter how many they draft outside of uh, Brian O'Neill. So I wonder what you think, and I know it's hard because you cover all 32 teams, but uh, of those types of processes of saying we hit, we hit on this tall, lanky guy who didn't have many sacks. Let's take those all the time. And with the offensive line, building it around lighter guys like Pat Elfline and Garrett Bradbury who haven't really worked out. Yeah, I, I think their biggest issue is just that you can't whiff completely in the first round. Like you have to rely on first rounders to at least be average to above average starters. Like that should be the baseline for a first round pick. And you have guys like Laquan Treadwell, Mike Hughes, Garrett Bradbury over that span who don't meet that baseline, who are well below average, who are liabilities, uh, some of them at their respective positions, but you're forcing them, you know, you're kind of shoehorning them in there because they're first round picks and you can't give up on them. They're first round picks. And that's, that's kind of the thing that can put you behind the eight ball. And they got lucky to find the guy in Adam Thielen who was so good that they had to put Laquan Treadwell on the bench and didn't you know, force him into a role and that sort of thing. But when you're not, not at least getting competency out of your first round picks, that really screws you at those respective position groups. Cause then you refuse to address them until it's too late. Uh, and we've seen that with both cornerback and their offensive line. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. Maybe at some point they'll get some Vikings fans in the stadium to see where this team can go with their young pieces, but it doesn't appear that's going to happen anytime soon, so you'll watch it from your couch, and Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. 
The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, that's a great point. See, now I, I've been having a, a little bit different of focus when writing about the drafts is that they haven't hit on mid and late round guys. And some of that is process. When you draft Ben Gideon, you, the max Ben Gideon that you ever get is a number three linebacker who only plays 20% of the snaps. And that's a fourth round pick. Like that's a pick that should become something. And Alexander Madison has been a guest on the podcast. He's a terrific human being. He's a good football player, but he's a running back in the third round when you have Delvin Cook on your football team. Yeah. Like, is was that something that you really needed to do there? And so I think that, uh, sure, it's nitpicky to say, well, why'd you pick this guy, that guy, the other thing, but not hitting on anyone in the late rounds, aside from, I don't know, Fadi Adenabo is really their best pick in years from the late rounds. I think that's really hurt their depth. So you go down to Daniel Hunter and you go, okay, who's next? Uh, no one. Yeah, and that's... I guess it is across the board, and, and you do want – it's not just – the baseline early rounds should be, you know, an average starter, but then you have to get competency out of the late rounds or guys who can plug and play and not be, you know, complete liabilities, and they just haven't had that either. And so I, I do think some of that is process, like you mentioned. A, run, a backup running back in the third round is never a good use of a draft pick, I'll just say it. Like I, anyone who drafts a backup running back in the third round, you're throwing, you're throwing that pick down the drain. Uh, if you're if you want to improve your run game, throw more resources at your offensive line. I think that might be their biggest sort of crime over that span is not throwing more resources at their offensive line because uh, everyone's thin along their offensive line, and, and no one seems now more thin along their interior than the Minnesota Vikings. So um, with the offensive line point, I don't know what you're feeling about offensive linemen in the draft and what they have to face in the NFL, but I've been watching Bradbury and thinking. There are, there's never been a time in history where three techniques and nose tackles are so dangerous. I mean, Gilbert Brown used to be the guy that just stuffed the middle, but now like noses and three techs, I mean, they're just like getting after the quarterback nonstop every week you're facing a guy like that. And I wonder about the process of looking at certain guys and saying, okay, is he going to be able to block Jadavion Clowney when he lines up over him or Zadarius Smith? Because there's also guys moving around to these positions too. And if you have one weakness, they'll be like, hey, defensive end guy, line up over the center and blow his ass into the backfield. It's, I wonder if it's a bit of a changing world here with how you have to evaluate interior linemen. Yeah, I think it comes down to what you're valuing. And I think a lot of off-line coaches watch interior linemen and they look at them or they're, how they play in the run game. And they look at... You know, Garrett Bradbury running outside zone at NC State looks like the best run blocker in the country. Let me get the best run blocker in the country. That's great. Now, comes to the NFL and you're passing 65% of the snaps, and all of a sudden he's getting his butt kicked on those 65% of the snaps. Why? Because it's a completely different thing what you should be valuing at the NFL level. The run game, yes, it matters to some degree, but if you can't get your job done in pass protection, I don't care how good of a run blocker you are, you're going to look 
bad and you know fans are going to be calling for you to be replaced so I do think it's almost a mismatch in what they've valued for so many years along the interior and it's been run blocking and that's been 1a 1b in terms of what you want out of an interior office lineman I think that's changed a lot over the last decade or so and that you just have to have pass protectors at those positions it's like they went back to the well twice. Elfline had the same issues in college yeah. where he would get overpowered or just run right by, and you did the same thing again. Uh, okay, last thing. Who's exciting you for a rookie right now in the NFL? Who are you watching on Sundays, and you're like, oh, it looks so good, and I enjoy it, and I'm really right about it? Really right about it? <laughs> yeah, really right about it. Give me that part, too. You're a draft guy. <laughs> I made everyone um, mad the other day for making fun of somebody for saying they were right about something. Oh yeah, I did see that, and that was I. I actually enjoyed that because take a joke, my gosh. It, it, because anyway, because like everyone, like every, if you do draft, you're always like this. Was, you, you never say uh, this guy who's doing great. Oh, I had a sixth round grade on this guy doing great. <laughs> right, you know, no one ever right. says that. Oh, this guy doing great. I had a first round grade on him. Chase Young, I called him good. That's what he's doing great now. You so, nailed no. it. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah, thank he you. He's good. Said. Yeah. Uh, but the the actually the two of the most exciting players, and this hurts for me to say because uh, the Kansas City Chiefs defensive players, Tershawn Warden's a defensive tackle who's a UDFA on a Missouri SNT. The guy looks like an actual player uh, on a defense that needed actual players at defensive tackle. He's a little undersized, but uh, he already has a handful of pressures in his first three games and, and like looks like he can move last scrimmage in the run game. So Tershawn Warden, and then they have a cornerback in Legereus Sneed who already has two picks, dropped a pick last night, is starting at outside cornerback for them, and looks like a legit outside cornerback, played safety last year at LA Tech, a fourth-round pick. The fact they got a fourth-round pick, UDFA defensive tackle who are playing legit snaps, one starting at corner, one uh, playing legit rotation role at DT, and looking good is a crazy win for a team that just won the Super Bowl. So those two guys, uh, obviously I didn't even scout Sean Ward. I didn't even hear about him until week one. But Legere Sneed, I was a fan of at corner, not a fan of at safety. Uh, actually had him uh, one spot on my draft board ahead of where he went in the actual draft. So I'm mm. going to talk that one up as a win. Nailed it. Uh, <laughs> and they get criticized for drafting a running back first round, and then they nail a corner Nails later him. on. Yep. <laughs> it's just like, hey, that's – that is the draft for you. Well, uh, this is really fun, Mike. It's always super insightful to talk to you and to listen to the two for one podcast with you and Austin Gale. It is absolutely phenomenal. Honestly, during draft season, it was an every single day type of thing and it was great. So always appreciate your work and glad to have you on buddy. Let's do it again soon. Yeah, for sure, Matthew. Thanks, man.